Hello, welcome to the Vape Week 11, and what a week it was. This week, the release of the teaming final rule happened on Thursday, and all the festivities ensued after that, and they will be ensuing for quite some time. I had conducted an interview with a mainstream media reporter that um, probably covers vaping and advocacy and political issues surrounding the electronic cigarette industry more than any other reporter on a consistent basis. I think it's a good interview. We cover a wide range of topics, but it has all been done before we even knew that the final rule would be released. So it's uh, it's not going to cover that. Uh, but first, before that, I'm going to play an interview that was done between Greg Connolly and Professor Glantz that does talk about the deeming and it also talks about the California law that took place. What's going to be interesting in that interview is uh, Glantz is rolling out the next generation of tactics to be used against the industry and uh, some of them are subtle, some of them are obvious, but uh, He's, he's pure out dropped some of the things he was using and uh, he's taking up new ones in his hand and these will all be tools uh, that will be used against us. So I'll probably want to do some sort of analysis of that tape later on, but it won't be done today. So those are the two things. I could have done uh, a lot on the deeming itself, uh, rather now the final rule itself, um, but I still have to read a lot of it. Uh, I have to read most of it. Uh, I have to probably read about 75% more of it, uh, at least, and then I have to reread portions of it. For this week, I'm just going to say a couple of things about the final rule now. So I need to respond to Kevin, who who asked that I admit that I am wrong on the hardware aspect now that the final rule has come out. And what I will say to Kevin is that I am doubling down. I still maintain that e-liquid without nicotine is not under the domain of the FDA. As with e-liquid without nicotine, so too is also hardware without nicotine. Both of them are not finished tobacco products and both of them because of the absence of nicotine derived from tobacco that both of them are not able to be regulated under the Tobacco Control Act and any regulations premised upon the Tobacco Control Act put forward by the FDA because they are not and it's important to remember the first part of the next words I'm going to say. They are not a finished goods tobacco product being sold to consumers. I am aware in the deeming, rather again, the final rule, that there are contradictory statements. There are things that say one thing and there's things that say another. But under the FDNC Act 201RR, a tobacco product is defined. And to be defined as a tobacco product, you must have nicotine 
and we can debate about nicotine derived from tobacco but for this purposes we're just not going to do that you have to have nicotine if it doesn't have nicotine it's not tobacco if it's not tobacco it's not controlled by the FDA and you cannot join together these items together and just put put them in and say that the FDA controls it even if they're going to assert it they will be asserting it contrary to the laws available to them and they will lose now again the FDA final rule has contradictions in its assertions it says one thing and then it says another thing and those two items are at odds with each other but the definitions cannot be absolved removed and ignored so I'm doubling down at this point I will not relent I will not concede and I will at this time uh, if I'm going to look like a fool for this I will look like a bigger fool now after what I just said so we'll see how that goes Kevin uh, but uh, officially I have doubled down and so uh, from here I'm going to play the Greg Conley interview that takes about 50 minutes and then after that it's going to be the Guy Bentley interview we'll have a lot more to say as time goes by enjoy the replay alright guys uh, number 11 goes goes as such here we go thanks it's been a tough week for tobacco and electronic cigarette interests. On Wednesday, California signed into law a sweeping package of bills that includes raising the age to buy tobacco products from 18 to 21 and adds restrictions on selling e-cigarettes. Then yesterday, the Food and Drug Administration announced e-cigarettes would need to go through the agency's approval process, tightening its control over the multi-billion dollar industry. Some are happy about the new state and federal rules. Others say they'll undermine public health. We'll hear from both sides next on Forum after this. This week, California became the second state after Hawaii to raise the age to buy tobacco products to 21. The new rule is part of a package of anti-smoking legislation that's being touted as the most expansive effort to regulate tobacco in more than 10 years. Smoking is still the largest cause of preventable death in the U.S. The state also increased restrictions on electronic cigarettes and where vaping can happen. The devices heat liquid nicotine that can be inhaled without the harsh tar and chemicals of regular cigarettes. Still, the federal government yesterday said e-cigarette companies would need to register with the FDA and disclose their ingredients in order to sell their products. In this hour forum, we look more deeply at what the new federal rules and state laws, which take effect soon, mean and why the e-cigarette industry says they'll actually be counterproductive to the public's health. Let me tell you who's joining us. Stanton Glantz is professor of medicine in the Division of Cardiology in the Department of Medicine at UCSF. Good morning, Stanton Glantz. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Also, Gregory Conley, president of the American Vaping Association. It's an advocacy group for e-cigarettes. Good morning, Gregory Conley. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Lisa Alaferis is also here with us. She's the editor of KQED State of Health blog. Good morning, Lisa Alaferis. Good morning. And Lisa, I want to start with you. The feds came out with actions. The state has taken actions. Can you quickly give us an overview of the major provisions of these rules and laws and how they compare? Uh, so what the feds and the state have done are separate according to their separate jurisdictions. The federal government, the FDA, has taken control of e-cigarettes, um, manufacturers. The, the short version is that the major thing that 
uh, people are paying attention to is they will have to register their products with the FDA. They'll have to disclose their ingredients and their manufacturing process. Right now, there's uh, no there's there's no regulation over uh, the liquid product that goes into the e-cigarettes. Um, it also raises the e-cigarette age nationwide. It puts the e-cigarette age to purchase the product at 18 and up to age 26, uh, you will need to show ID to to purchase. So that's the st- that's the federal government. The state government, uh, Governor Brown signed a package of five bills. Uh, the two headlines there are the tobacco age was raised from 18 to 21 in the, statewide in California, and in addition. Uh, a separate bill, a separate law the governor signed brought e-cigarettes um, under, uh, they classified them with tobacco also. And the main headline on this is anywhere you can't smoke a cigarette, you will not be able to use an e-cigarette either. This is, you know, all indoor workplaces, uh, many public parks. This is restaurants, um, et cetera. Those are the, the major headlines. And e-cigarettes as well, 21 to be able to purchase those. That's correct. And this all goes into effect because of the way, you know, sometimes laws take a while to take effect because of the way it was passed in a quote-unquote special session of the legislature. They all take effect June 9th. So that's in less than five weeks. Those are the state laws and the FDA regulations in about 90 days or so. That's correct. And there was an exception in the state laws for military personnel. Why? Uh, as I understand it, the the bill stalled in the legislature over this question. Um, there were Republican legislators, in particular, who said um, that uh, you know service members; these are people who can die for their country. They ought to be able to choose to smoke a cigarette. And so, uh, active military personnel are exempt, can buy at eighteen. And Lisa Alfares, the goals of this legislation are. Primarily, the goal is to get cigarettes out of the hands of of adolescents. So if you're in high school, it's, it's easy to imagine that lots of high school students know 18-year-olds. There are lots of 18-year-olds still in high school. Many are still about their seniors. They're about to graduate. And they can buy, they can lawfully purchase cigarettes, and they can give them illegally, but they can give them to younger friends. But most young teens, 15 to 17, they are not traveling in the same social circles with 21-year-olds. So it just moves them away from them. And the uh, a big Institute of Medicine report last year found that um, if there were a 21 age nationwide on cigarettes, that it would decrease the number of smokers by 12 percent. By the time that population reached adulthood, there would be 12 percent fewer smokers. So Stanton Glantz of UCSF, do you agree that the goals will be achieved by these laws? Do you think they'll work? Yes. Uh, we know that uh, putting in place a non-smoker protections, in addition to protecting people from secondhand smoke and exposure to secondhand e-cigarette aerosol, really changes the whole social environment around smoking and tobacco use, and I would expect e-cigarette use. And that makes it easier for people to quit and discourages kids from starting. Uh, I think the best measure that uh, of the fact that these two bills are, plus there were others too, which are important, like closing the loopholes and the state and clean indoor air law and some other things. Um, the tobacco companies just fought these tooth and nail and uh, just pulled out all the stops with their lobbyists, with their campaign contributions. They even threatened the governor. Uh, and, uh, you know, they that to me is the best marker of how important these things are. And the other thing that's important about the Tobacco 21 bill, and, and I have to say, I started out thinking this was a total waste of time two years ago. Because, but I th- because you thought I it just would never happen? No, because I didn't think it would make any difference. 
difference. But I think that the evidence, which has accumulated since then in the communities that have done it in, uh, and, and as evaluated by the IOM, is it's a good idea. And the other thing it's going the to Institute do— The Institute of Medicine. Yeah, the Institute of Medicine report. And the other thing that's important about it is it will move the marketing older— because right now, the tobacco companies can legally target their marketing to 18-year-olds, and it's very easy to spill down to teenagers, whereas marketing directed at people over 21, for the same reasons that Lisa was talking about, is less likely to spill down to kids. So I think, you know, California is already doing very well in tobacco. We're down to about 11 or 12 percent smoking prevalence. Most of the smokers aren't even smoking uh, a half a pack a day. And I think that these bills, together with if we get the tobacco tax passed in the fall, I think we could eliminate tobacco as a public health problem in California in four or five years. And just quickly, the tobacco tax proposal is what? The, the tobacco tax, which is currently being circulated by the major health groups like the Cancer Society, Heart and Lung Association, would raise the tobacco tax by $2, including a corresponding tax on e-cigarettes. Mo- the largest part of the money would go to pay for Medi-Cal expansion, but a substantial amount of money would go to reinvigorating the state tobacco control program and for research on how to make the program better, which I think the the combined effect of the price increase plus the increased intensity of the state tobacco program will, will rapidly reduce smoking. We could become the first place in the world to eliminate tobacco as a as a public health problem if that tax passes. Now, Lisa Alferis, Governor Brown did veto a bill that would have allowed cities and counties to establish their own tobacco taxes. Before we get into e-cigarettes, can you just talk about why he did this? In his veto message, he, in short, pointed to these other taxes that may well be coming on the ballot in November, and he seemed to think that that was enough taxes. Well, in addition to raising the tobacco purchasing age, vaping or the use of electronic cigarettes has been banned in many public places, treating e-cigarettes like tobacco. Stanton Glantz, you've been quoted as saying you think that this could be even more significant than the tobacco regulations. Why? Well, the the FDA asserted jurisdiction over e-cigarettes, and it did prohibit sales to people under 18, although all the states have already done that. There, there was really very little substance to what the FDA did in the rule itself, other than asserting jurisdiction and saying that the companies had two or three years to register and get approved. But in the short run, it's really not going to do very much. Uh, but I think, I mean, the, as Lisa said, the FDA deals in a whole different sandbox than these state laws do. The FDA is about regulating the product itself and to some extent the marketing of the product. And if you look and ask the question, why is smoking so low in California? I think it's because of all the clean indoor air laws and the social denormalization and the major educational campaigns that the state's been running, which will get ramped up if the tax passes. And that, I think, is actually more important than regulation of the product itself. Now, that's not to say that these products shouldn't be regulated. I mean, while an e-cigarette is unquestionably less 
less toxic than a cigarette. You're still inhaling ultrafine particles, formaldehyde and other aldehydes, heavy metals that boil off the heater. And they are toxic. They're just not as toxic. And so I think it's important that the FDA act. Like one thing that, that UCSF and the public comments we put in, as well as all the health groups, is we, we urge them to ban flavors as part of this rule, and they, they didn't do that, although they did say they're thinking about it. But as you, the deeming rule took years, so when the, F, the FDA thinks very slowly. And that's because you worry that the flavors attract younger people to the Yeah, I, there's lots of research out there showing that the flavors are, are very important for attracting kids. And right now in California, as in the country as a whole, more kids are using e-cigarettes than, than are smoking conventional cigarettes. Gregory Conley with the American Vaping Association. What's your reaction to the state's move to essentially treat e-cigarettes like tobacco? I think it's wrong, and I think it sends a deadly message to millions or hundreds of thousands of smokers throughout the state of California. A deadly message. Why deadly? It sends the message to smokers that vapor products are just another form of tobacco. And this is coming while we have data showing, unfortunately, an increasing number of adults uh, inaccurately believing that vaping could be just as hazardous as smoking. Uh, Sending these messages, especially one week after uh, we had the Royal College of Physicians release a groundbreaking report estimating that vaping is at least 95% less hazardous than smoking and saying that it helps smokers quit for this move, as well as the FDA's move to come one week after that. uh, There is a great lack of congruence among these positions. So this is what you mean when you say that it's counterproductive to public health to treat e-cigarettes like tobacco? Yes. I think many in the public health field have recognized that Regardless of what we do, people are going to choose to use nicotine. And the question is, do we want the public health field to be focused on eliminating nicotine use, which, like eliminating drug use, isn't something that's going to happen? Or do we want to focus on educating people, letting them make their own choice, but informing them uh, and shaping policy around the fact that smoke-free nicotine products are far, far less hazardous than smoking? These products are alternatives, smarter alternatives to deadly combustible cigarettes. And unfortunately, the U.S. public policy is going in an opposite direction of Europe and parts of the world. Stanton Glantz, you would agree that e-cigarettes are not as dangerous as cigarettes. Yes. Yeah, I mean, as as, uh, Mr. Connolly said, you don't burn uh, the anything in these cigarettes, so they give you much, much lower level of cancer-causing chemicals than a cigarette does. But cancer doesn't. Uh, cancer kills less than half of the smokers. Most smokers are killed by heart disease, vas- and and uh, and non-cancer lung disease. And the accumulating evidence is that the ultrafine particles and uh, oxidizing agents in e-cigarettes are having immediate bad effects on your blood vessels and your lungs. And there was, for example, there was just a paper 
published a couple of weeks ago out of uh, Italy where they had smokers and non-smokers both smoke a cigarette and smoke an e-cigarette and the effects on the blood vessels in, in ways that are closely related to having heart attacks were identical. And uh, the e-cigarettes also increased um, uh, <coughs> um a strong oxidizing agents in the in, and in measures of inflammation in the blood and depressed antioxidants. And so, you know, cancer is not the only thing. I mean, we, you know, I don't want to get cancer, but the but heart attacks, strokes, non-cancer lung disease are very important. And we know, for example, that if you use an e-cigarette, your lung function deteriorates immediately. So they're not, they're less dangerous. No, if I, I would say if we could snap our fingers and turn every smoker into an e-cigarette user where they just stopped smoking and switched to e-cigarettes and had no effect on youth initiation, I would agree that would be better. Gregory but, Conley, you were trying to get in here? Yeah. Yes, this is an example of how some in the public health field have allowed their ideology to shape their view of the scientific evidence. Let's be clear that the Royal College of Physicians, the non-conflicted experts there, as well as the experts at Public Health England, they don't buy into this absurd notion that nicotine is a primary contributor to the heart disease that is caused by inhaling burning smoke into the lungs, nor do they buy into the uh, logic that aerosol particles, water particles, uh, liquid uh, droplets are somehow comparable to the solid smoke particles that penetrate lung tissue involved in smoking. And so for those listening out there, especially the smokers, I would urge you to please go look at what the conclusions of the non-conflicted experts of the Royal College of Physicians were uh, and then compare it versus what you're hearing from Professor Glantz. Gregory Conley, I get that e-cigarettes are not tobacco I wonder if I could get your reaction, though, to the way they're marketed. You know, recently I saw this commercial that basically alluded to the Marlboro Man. It had an e-cigarette user rounding up cattle and then stepping out and vaping. That's satire. And, you know, I would love if e-cigarette ads could advertise freely saying, you're a smoker, you should come switch to this product. You should quit smoking and come over to this product and, heck, if you want, you can take your nicotine down to zero and choose to not use nicotine anymore. Unfortunately, that would be a federal felony. So you have companies that have to turn to ad firms who come up with uh, satirical ideas or the idea to use sexy women in ads. Uh, I, will, I do agree that it would be better if these products were advertised uh, for quitting smoking. But the only, pr- the only companies that could possibly afford to get the approval to advertise products for quitting smoking – are the big tobacco companies. And by the way, after those FDA regs were released, the large tobacco companies, they did see their stocks increase because this is going to help them because it's going to crush so many small and medium-sized businesses. Well, let's talk more about the FDA. I just want to remind our listeners, though, that we're talking with Gregory Conley. He's president of the American Vaping Association, an advocacy group for e-cigarettes. We're also joined by Lisa Alaferis, health editor for KQED, and Stanton Glantz, professor of medicine at UCSF School of Medicine. Gregory Conley, so what is your reaction to the FDA requiring e-cigarette companies to disclose the ingredients of the liquid in e-cigarettes to get approval to sell the products? What do you think will be the effect? The effect will be in 27 months, in August of 2018, 
prohibition of about 99% plus of vapor products will occur. It will become a federal felony to sell products that are far less hazardous than legal, deadly Marlboros and Camels. That will be the end effect of this as as well as uh, possibly thousands of small businesses closing, tens of thousands of employees being put out of work. This is Because going through the FDA regulatory process will be cost prohibitive in your view? Yes, and the FDA has admitted that many products will exit the market. The FDA's own economic impact analysis predicted that they could receive as few as 20 applications to keep products on the market, and that's that's in a market with thousands, tens of thousands of products. This is going to harm consumers, and it is going to open gigantic black markets where there will be no uh, safety precautions. Federal health officials, though, have also said that they feel like the two years they've given for applications is enough time for folks to respond and, and not have such a significant impact on their business. And they give the small companies an extra year, so they have three years. Do you think that's enough, Gregory Conley? You don't think so, it sounds like. All that is is a delay in execution. If I'm wrongfully uh, convicted of a crime and I'm told, uh, oh, well, good news is the execution isn't for three years, that doesn't make me happy. It just gives me time to get my sort my affairs, at, uh, sort my affairs and decide uh, what I'm going to do next. Uh, but unfortunately, in the end, it is going to be big tobacco that benefits that benefits from this regulation. Uh, the Washington Post just posted a great article with the headline uh, saying that this is something. This is a regulation that is not going to benefit public health and will benefit public tobacco, uh, big tobacco. Because they'll be the only companies that will be able to pay the costs associated with yes, approval. and even worse, what's going to be left are the ineffective, bland, and boring e-cigarette products, the ones that are sold by tobacco companies today, those help very few smokers quit. They're about as successful probably to get people off of cigarettes as drug company uh, nicotine gum patch lozenge, etc. They're all terrible for getting smokers to quit. It's the products that are more innovative uh, that are being shown to be the ones being used by uh, ex-smokers. What do you mean by more innovative? Uh, it is the ones that uh, have larger batteries that take e-liquid, that you fill with e-liquid, that you can get in many different flavors, which, by the way, uh, flavors have been shown to be extremely important to adult smokers in getting off of cigarettes. So I, the one good thing that the FDA did was to take that wait-and-see approach with flavors. From a health perspective, though, Gregory Con- Conley, don't you want to know what the ingredients are in the e-cigarettes? That is a requirement that that companies are going to have to comply with, something about 60 to 90 days after the uh, products are, uh, after that August date, this coming August. And that's fine. The FDA, I'm not opposed to all FDA regulation. There is a bill in Congress that would change what's known as the predicate date. That predicate date, 2007 date, is what's requiring every product on the market today to go through a million dollars, perhaps more than that, process. If we could have the products that are on the market today be able to stay, but also uh, let the FDA retain their ability to set strict product standards, to find out what's in products, to say, okay, uh, this particular chemical can't be above X amount or it can't be present above a trace amount. That's something that the FDA could do. Uh, But unfortunately, instead of regulating with a scalpel, in this instance, they are regulating with a sledgehammer. I see. But it does sound like you you do feel like there needed to be more disclosure of what is in e-cigarettes or in the liquid since there is such variation. 
can be helpful to consumers, as can regulations, but not in this instance, sadly. We're talking with Gregory Conley, president of the American Vaping Association, Stanton Glantz, professor of medicine in the Division of Cardiology in the Department of Medicine at UCSF, and Lisa Alaferis, editor of KQED State of Health blog. We're talking about new state laws and federal rules regulating tobacco and electronic cigarettes. And we want to hear from you. What's your reaction to the new rules? What are your questions about how these rules will be implemented? about new state laws and federal rules regulating tobacco and e-cigarettes. The e-cigarette industry says these new rules, uh, that e-cigarettes help people stop smoking and that these new rules could be a disaster for both public health and the economy, while others say that e-cigarettes are a gateway to traditional cigarettes, especially for young people, and need to be more tightly controlled. Joining us for the half hour is uh, for the Remaining half hour is Stanton Glantz, the professor of medicine in the Division of Cardiology at UCSF, Gregory Conley of the American Vaping Association, and Lisa Alaferis of KQED. She edits our State of Health blog. And I'd like to hear what our listeners have to say. I want to go to Mark in New York. Hi, Mark. Oh, hi. I'm a first-time caller to uh, any program whatsoever. Well, welcome. (laughs) Thank you. I, I was just blown away when I heard about this new FDA regulation, and the reason is I've been a smoker since about 1965, but I changed to e-cigarettes three years ago. I haven't smoked a cigarette since, and my health is so vastly improved that uh, it's it's difficult for me to even you know, relate to you what it's meant to me to make this change. So what Uh, aspect of the FDA rule are you most disturbed by? Is it the disclosure of ingredients, increasing the age to purchase it, um, you know, going through the FDA regulatory process to make it? Well, the ingredients are listed on the e-cigarette. I think there's about five different things in there. Uh, I don't see any list of ingredients on a pack of cigarettes, and we know there's hundreds, if not a thousand or so, ingredients in those cigarettes. I'm opposed to the idea that they would... uh, you know, make it more difficult to get the e-cigarette or make it as difficult as it is to get the, the actual cigarette. I think a more ideal approach would be, and here I will have to say, I don't know what the effects of secondhand e-cigarette paper is, but if you made it acceptable to, I'm on a speaker boat in the car, so I'm going to step outside for a minute. <clears throat> if you made this... Um, just go right ahead. Well, make it acceptable to smoke a vapor cigarette in a bar. Mm. How many people would stop smoking just to be able to do that? Now, I don't know what the effects of second vapor would be. Yeah. I, well, Mark, I think I think you had probably the right instinct there. The phone line is sounding a little bit um, sketchy there. Do give us a call back, and congrats on quitting smoking. Um a listener writes, the e-cigarette is just a back door for tobacco companies to keep selling their deadly products to the public under totally false pretenses. Very proud to say I've never smoked in my life, and in fact, I find smoking by others polluting and annoying. Another listener tweets, is the nicotine for vaping derived from tobacco plants, petroleum products, or vitamin B3? Well, Stanton Glantz? Well, so to just a whole bunch of issues have been brought up. And first of all, 
for the caller who successfully quit smoking using e-cigarettes, I think that's great, and I congratulate him. And I think there's no question that some smokers have successfully quit smoking with e-cigarettes. But we published a paper a few months ago where we looked at the entire world literature on the relationship between smoke, using e-cigarettes and quitting smoking. And we found that on average, smokers who use e-cigarettes are 30% less likely to quit smoking. So while they do help some people, for most, the overwhelming majority of people who use e-cigarettes, they actually keep them smoking cigarettes. And that's actually probably the most dangerous thing about e-cigarettes. And we did do a show on forum that examined that study right. with you and with Gregory Conley as well. So if folks want to hear that, that's in our archives. Well, you, you can link to that and then they could hear the two of us. This, but, but that's <laughs> the first thing. Um, the second thing is it's important to, to say that, 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 that none of these laws, not, neither the FDA nor California have prohibited e-cigarettes. They're just putting rules on where they can be used. And in terms of the FDA's cost-benefit analysis that Mr. Connolly was quoting, uh, you know, I and others in the public health community have been uniformly critical of the FDA for wildly overstating the costs. I mean, we're not talking about some very arcane drug here that's used for cancer chemotherapy that takes years to, to assess. I think that collecting the kind of data that it would require in order to make, uh, to put in a successful application to the FDA to make smoking cessation or reduced harm claims would not be that hard to do. And frankly, we, we are talking about toxic products and they shouldn't be put into the marketplace without proper regulation. Gregory Conley, did you want to respond to that? Sure. Um, to one of the listeners' questions. Most of the vapor products on the market contain either no nicotine or nicotine that is derived from tobacco. However, there is a company, uh, actually I believe in California, that has created synthetic nicotine that has nothing to do with the tobacco plant. Um, but what we're dealing with with vapor products is I don't think that it is unreasonable to believe that the, the costs of filing a PMTA are going to be high six figures, very low seven figures, if not more. Uh, the average new drug cost to the FDA is over one point was over one point three billion dollars in 2013. So I don't think that it uh, it it confuses the mind too much to believe that uh, one million dollars would be a price for the kind of data on toxicology, physiology, in vitro testing that is going to be required to get one single product uh, through the FDA process. Meanwhile, many of these small businesses between different nicotine varieties, propylene glycol or vegetable glycerin varieties, bottle sizes, some of these companies have 500, 1,000 different unique products. These companies are, are in, as well as just about any company that doesn't have an association with tobacco, they're in a lot of trouble and their products are going to end up banned. And again, if you'd like to join the conversation, you can give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, that's 866-733-6786. You can email your questions or comments to forum at kqed.org, post them on our website, kqed.org slash forum, post them on Facebook or Twitter at KQED Forum. We asked our listeners on Twitter if they support the new smoking age in California. With 92 votes in, 73% say yes, 15% say no, 
and 12% have no strong feelings about it. Gregory Conley, I know what you're saying in terms of your concerns that it could discourage people from using a device that could potentially help them quit smoking. But what about um, this question about the age? You know, the study from the CDC found that uh, middle and high school students had tripled their use of e-cigarettes from 2013 to 2014. What do you think about that and the age requirement? Well, of course, in a perfect world, youth wouldn't use any inhalable product, whether or not it contains nicotine or not. But we don't live in a perfect world. And the good news is that from 2011 to 2014, there was a record-breaking, never-before-seen decline in youth use of cigarettes, the product that is actually uh, addicting mass numbers of people and killing them in the long run. Uh, Meanwhile, with vapor products, you're finding that about 45-50% of the the teens who had used them in the past month are reporting one to two days a month of uses. So that's not habitual usage. That's experimentation. And you don't uh, see you, it as a gateway? Sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, absolutely. So no, it is not a gateway. The surveys regarding gateway, all they find is that students who are willing to try an e-cigarette, they're also at follow-up. They tried, tried a cigarette. That's no surprise that those who are willing to try an e-cigarette are going to be more uh, willing to try a cigarette. And all this is happening with the backdrop being dramatic declines in cigarette smoking and uh, a survey, the the Monitoring the Future survey from 2014, finding that uh, about only about 20, 25 percent of youth reported that their last uh, e-cigarette session involved nicotine. Sixty percent said just flavoring. Um, So there is a disconnect between what some people are claiming about vaping and about the effects that it's having on youth and the data. Speaking of youth, Lisa Alfres, this is a question that's come up for me. So the purchasing age has now been increased to 21. What if you're below the age of 21 and you're caught with a cigarette or an e-cigarette? Uh, I, I have to say I'm not sure what the... what the California, Stanton Glantz? I don't think California has criminalized possession among right. kids. I know that the health groups are against criminalizing kids because it's blaming the victim. You know, I'd like to go back to what Mr. Connolly was saying. I think the evidence uh, on the gateway effect is quite different. Uh, there are, are four published longitudinal studies. That's where you look at people at the beginning and then come back a year later. And kids, non-smoking kids who use these cigarettes are about three times more likely to be smoking conventional cigarettes a year later. In fact, that's a theme in one of the state's current Uh, e-cigarette education ads. And also, there's a great deal of research showing that that most of the kids who are initiating nicotine use with e-cigarettes are have a profile that makes them at very low risk of, of initiating nicotine with conventional cigarettes. And also, we've actually looked at the the pattern over the last 10 years, or now 11 years, in, in cigarette smoking. And the advent of e-cigarettes hasn't affected, up until, uh, through 2004, the advent of e-cigarettes had, did not have any effect at all on the decline in conventional cigarette smoking. Now, in 2015, the new data that the CDC just released a couple weeks ago, cigarette smoking actually was up a little bit for the first time in 11 years among kids. And that's exactly what you would expect if e-cigarettes were bringing low-risk kids into the nicotine market, and some of them were then converting did the study say that they thought that was why there was an update? They didn't. It was, it was the CDC, so they just said it happened. They don't. But, but you know, and, and I think, you know, 
Um, it's speculation at this point because it's one data point. But it was striking to me in looking at the CDC data to see that, you know, this consistent decline had stopped. Now, we actually asked the CDC for the raw data, which they do make publicly available, but it won't be out for, for us academics for another few months. Hmm. And on uh, Greg Conley. point, on, thank you, on an earlier point, California law, actually, I believe it's Section uh, 308 of the Penal Code, does indeed have a provision uh, that's probably rarely used. But there is a provision that punishes youth who purchase or attempt to purchase, and I believe possess, uh, cigarettes or tobacco products. Um, well, if that and, is in there, and, if that is in there, that's something the tobacco companies got passed because none of the health groups uh, support that, that. Nor do, nor do I. So we find agreement there. But also, <laughs> all right. well, we've I actually think... agreed. We've <laughs> actually agreed on a couple of things, like you know, if all the smokers switch to e-cigarettes, that would be better. It's just that's not what's happening. But well, I'm going to interrupt our kumbaya moment to say I do think you're uh, you're abusing the evidence a bit with two different points. One, about introducing students to nicotine use, ignoring that ignores the existence of the zero nicotine e-liquids and the fact that many students report that they aren't using uh, nicotine. And then also, when you're talking about one year of one survey where there was a small blip in smoking, that's that was the monitoring the future survey. Meanwhile, the National Youth Tobacco Survey for the same year, with a similar sample size, as I recall, uh, actually continued to find uh, that smoking had declined. So let's no, not that, act like no, that's, not that's act just like not. No, well, that's not true. The 2015 I, data flattened out or went up a bit, but the 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 other data shows, and it's true. A lot of kids think they're using non-nicotine cigarettes. I mean, one of the problems is that the labeling on the products isn't very good, and a lot of the cigarettes which are labeled as non-nicotine actually do have nicotine in them. But there's also studies showing kids who initiate with the non-nicotine cigarettes are likely to transition to nicotine. But even if they don't, inhaling an aerosol of ultrafine particles, formaldehyde, and heavy metals is not good for you. Well, I appreciate both of you being willing to respectfully disagree. Stanton Glantz is professor of medicine at UCSF. Gregory, Gregory Conley is president of the American Vaping Association. And Lisa Alaferis is the editor of KQED's State of Health blog. And let's go to you, our callers. Let's go to Sam in North Carolina. Hi, Sam. Hi. I was wondering if you could address um, the FDA guidelines and their effect on cigars. I, I see that the, the guidelines also... Um, have some effect there. They do. Stanton Glantz, you yeah, want to speak I to that? that? That All of the discussion has been about e-cigarettes, but the FDA also took jurisdiction over cigars. And I think that's very important because just as kids are increasingly using e-cigarettes, they're also increasingly using cigars. And uh, the use of flavored cigars, especially little cigars, which are essentially cigarettes painted brown, uh, has been a huge problem, especially in the African-American community. And so, you know... There were also regulations on hookahs as well. Yeah, and they also added hookah, which is another area where uh, use among youth and college students has been increasing. And in all of these areas, flavors are very, very important. And so I think... The, 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 the one thing uh, that changed uh, substantively with the cigar rule is they are going to be required to carry a, an additional warning label about reproductive uh, toxicity. But no, I think a lot of that to me is one of the sleepers 
in the in the FDA assertion of jurisdiction. And it was also very, very hard fought. The tobacco companies tried to get Congress to put pressure on the FDA to exclude a substantial part of the cigar market. And the fact that the FDA stood up to them is a good thing. Well, Sam, thanks for the call. I'm sorry, did you have a follow-up? I will say, do not be surprised. Oh, this is Gregory Conley. Sorry. Do not be surprised to see Congress uh, pass an exemption to remove FDA authority over premium cigars. They have the votes for it in the House. I believe they would also have the votes for it in the Senate. That is a huge issue, especially with Cuba, because the, the rigorous requirements of FDA regulation, now that we are normalizing our trade relations with Cuba, could actually stop. Cuban cigars from being able to be marketed in the U.S. and could shut down uh, some of the very few remaining cigar factories uh, in the United States. So uh, there is a a business issue there that that is legitimate. Well, speaking of pushback, Lisa Alaferis, are tobacco companies, you know, and I should mention that we did reach out to tobacco giant Altria, but they uh, did not respond to our request to join the program. Are tobacco companies gearing up to try to do something, a referendum perhaps? There's been some talk about that. There, that certainly, it's California. Anyone can mount a signature campaign, and the tobacco industry certainly has the money to pay signature gatherers to try and establish a referendum. Uh, there were some interesting politics that went around. Um, that's that, I should say that's here in California, of course. FDA, it's could uh, be a separate uh, yeah. Um, but interesting politics here was that these bills were passed, and then they get sent to the governor's desk, and then the governor has a, uh, 12 days, I believe it is. I'm not on the political beat to, to sign or veto. Um, but if they're, they, the backers of these bills actually held the bills um, before sending them to the governor's desk, in part to push out, to, to get it closer to this filing deadline for any ballot initiative in November. So the time is actually quite short for any kind of uh, uh, proposition campaign to be mounted. And so then it would set back to, it would default to, I think it, they, they could not file something again until 2018. So politically, it would be it would be a heavy lift. Well, speaking the of po- tobacco companies lobbied their hearts out to kill both the Tobacco 21 and including e-cigarettes in the clean indoor air lie. And in, 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 in something that I'd never seen before, there actually was an email sent threatening the governor if if he, uh, you know, politically, for political retaliation if he signed these bills. which uh, So the, the tobacco companies are definitely rattling their saber about forcing a referendum, at least on these two bills. But you don't uh, think it's likely? Well, I don't know. I mean, as Lisa said, they have infinite amount of money, and they would could do this as a delaying tactic. If they do go out there and, and try it, I hope people won't be tricked and sign these sign the petitions. But, you know, if you have a lot of money and no ethics, you can do a lot in politics. I'll I'll also say that um, California, it's it's interesting because, I mean, I think in California, the, the state is viewed across the country as being at the forefront of advancing um, apparent public health uh, considerations and so forth. Um, what's interesting here is, though, California is at present our tax on pack of cigarettes is eighty seven cents, and that's that's one low. The it's country. one of the lowest. It's it's we're number thirty six. Thirty six was what I checked uh, the other day. Oh, it was thirty three last time. I so, um, 
So, and there have been efforts to further regulate tobacco, tobacco use statewide that have repeatedly failed until until this package of bills. And so it's just interesting. There's a shift. There's a shift politically going on within the state, apparently. Yes, this is being called, as I said in the intro, the most expansive effort in a decade mm-hmm. to try to regulate well, well, tobacco. It really is. I mean, Cal- California in the 90s was really the na- national and international leader with the initiation, the passage of Proposition 99 and the state's tobacco control program and the passage of the state clean indoor air law. But in recent years, it's really lagged uh, a lot of other places because something that was very strong and innovative 20 years ago wasn't so strong today. And as Lisa said, our taxes here are very, very low. And uh, what these bills have done is really brought the policymaking environment back into a position of leadership. And if we uh, if the American Cancer Society, Heart and Lung, are successful in qualifying and passing the tobacco tax and reinvigorating the state's anti-smoking program, we could very well eliminate tobacco as a public health problem in uh, in a few years. So I would urge people who care to, if you haven't found the petition, call up one of the health groups and get it. Well, let's get more of our listeners involved in this. And again, if you want to join the conversation, 866-733-6786 is the number to call, 866 Forum at kqed.org is our email address, and our website is kqed.org slash forum. Leslie in San Rafael. Hi, Leslie. Yes, hi. Um, my question is about vaping, and when they call misting, I would assume that that means that there is actually a liquid, and if you're putting liquid into your lungs, isn't that compromising them? Because, in fact, you have... Uh, like when you get pneumonia, it's because you have fluid in your lungs. So to me, it seems a direct correlation of having medical problems with uh, vaping, whereas obviously with with smoke, or another. Um, the line is a little choppy, but I think I'm getting the gist. Uh, Stanton Clance, does this weaken your lungs? Does vaping or a mist or liquid in the yeah, lungs? Yeah, I mean, what, what you're you're not drinking or pouring the cigarette liquid into your lungs, but you're inhaling uh, a aerosol of very very tiny droplets of the liquid, and those droplets then uh, collect in your lungs and get into your blood and trigger inflammatory processes and other things which reduce the, your ability of your lungs and your blood vessels to work. So, yeah, and over the long term, it could be leading to those other problems. Nobody knows. We do know, for example, though, that kids who use e-cigarettes have more respiratory problems than kids who don't, and they have more days lost from school because of respiratory problems. Well, Bill writes, the risk of secondhand smoke was the justification for restricting smoking locations. Since vaping doesn't produce smoke, why are these restrictions being applied to these devices? Well, 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 it's true. E-cigarettes don't Stand produce light. smoke in the in the sense of burning something, but they do put ultrafine particles into the air. They do put uh, droplets of al- formaldehyde and other aldehydes and heavy metals, which bystanders breathe. And it's it's like smoking an e-cigarette isn't as bad as smoking a cigarette, and being a breathing secondhand e-cigarette aerosol isn't as bad as breathing secondhand smoke. But bystanders are still breathing in these toxic chemicals. There are studies that have been done looking at people, non-smokers and non-vapors who live with people who use e-cigarettes, and they have elevated 
elevated nicotine levels in their bodies, actually almost as high as people living with secondhand smokers. So I think while the, the level of toxicity is lower, people should not have to breathe poison chemicals to go about their daily lives. Robert writes, how will these restrictions be applied to cannabis smoking once it's removed from federal scheduled status? Um, I'm not sure exactly how it will apply to cannabis smoking, but medical cannabis, Lisa Alifers? Medical. So medical, the the age for medical marijuana is 18, but it, recreational marijuana, the states that have already passed the the laws to permit it, the purchase age is 21. And the uh, 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 whatever the measure is in California that I'm blanking on the I thought California's minimum age of the medical Cal- marijuana is 18 though medical right? marijuana is definitely 18 but the measure that's going on the ballot mm-hmm. in November to uh, make recreational pot use legal in California the purchase age is 21 and let's go to Carol in San Francisco hi Carol Hi, this is Carol Magruder, and I'm the co-chair of the African-American Tobacco Control Leadership Council. And I had uh, two comments. I, you were preempted by President Obama's yes. press conference, so I missed the very beginning. But I heard um, the comments about um, our youth, the smoking prevalence, and, and youth you know, smoking e-cigarettes and going up. And I want to say that when we look at the national stats of what youth are doing, that African-American and Latino youth are underrepresented, they're undercounted. There are many of our children who are not in school, and no one's going out to uh, places where these young people hang out and asking them what they do. And I recently saw um, the e, e Blue Cigarettes there, one of their ads in London that probably wouldn't make it over here in the U.S., but it was an African-American woman. It was like soft porn with a, down to the very beginning of her buttocks. So this whole conversation about e-cigarettes and that it's good for cessation, it's just setting our public health standards back decades. And I was very surprised to hear Mr. Greg Connolly is the head of the American Vaping Association. And I'm very, I can't believe that. You know, I didn't know that. So I'll take, I'll take your comments to that off the air. Thank you. Well, oh, Carol, thank you. Gregory Connolly, did you want to be able so to I quickly to say something? I think there are I... two Greg Connollys. And, and, and they're two, the anti-smoking Greg Connolly and the Greg Connolly here are two different people. Uh. <laughs> So I'm sure both of them get confused. Gregory Connolly, do you want to explain? Uh, yes, I am not the, the Dr. Gregory Connolly from Harvard, who's kind of a nicotine prohibitionist. That's a different Greg Connolly. <laughs> but, Carol, uh, I, I appreciate I, your point about uh, youth of color. Thank you. But it is shocking to hear somebody who claims to be uh, anti-smoking proclaim that public health is being set back by vapor products. Uh, the, the very act of somebody quitting smoking should make people who are anti-smoking happy. But unfortunately, uh, this debate, more than any other, has shown that for some advocates, it's not about health. It's about it looks like smoking, so it must be evil. And in fact, uh, with health disparities, with adult disparities, uh, African-Americans die more of tobacco-related diseases per capita. And unfortunately, in the adult population, there's that the actual health disparity is that African-Americans and Latinos are less likely, uh, African-American and Latino adult smokers, are less likely to try and transition to vapor products than white adult smokers. Well, uh, Gregory Conley, thanks. I think we're going to have to leave it there. We just have, uh, we're, we're out of time. <laughs> Gregory Conley, president of the American Vaping Association and advocacy group for e-cigarettes. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, and thank you to uh, Professor Glantz. Yes, thank you, Stanton Glantz, Professor of Medicine in the Department of Medicine at UCSF. Thanks for being here. Thank you. 
All right. So uh, my name is Ed Wolf, and this is the Vape Week. I've got a guest uh, today. His name is Guy Bentley. He writes for the Daily Caller, uh, and I believe he's probably the most prolific electronic cigarette writer out there. And what I have noticed is that uh, a lot of his stuff gets reposted on social media, and the reason why it's getting posted so much on social media is because he's often the first writer uh, to be covering it. And he's also covering it in, in more, uh, more, more depth than, than most people. So, uh, I appreciate you, uh, being able to come over, uh, and, and, uh, speak with me today. So, uh, Guy, why don't you, uh, kind of, uh, introduce yourself and, uh, and we'll start there. Well, hello. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, uh, my name's Guy Bentley. I work at the Daily Caller News Foundation, and uh, I cover e-cigarettes, um, uh, vaping, tobacco, public health issues uh, more generally, also including uh, food, alcohol, um, a lot of consumer issues uh, in this space. Um, I've uh, moved from the United Kingdom to Washington, D.C. Uh, I was at a London business paper called City AM before I moved to the Daily Call News Foundation. And I started getting into the uh, subject of um, e-cigarettes and vaping, very heavily influenced by uh, a lot of friends of mine back home in the UK, including uh, Christopher Snowden, um, who works at the Institute of Economic Affairs, who I'd uh, strongly encourage people to look up his work on the subject. And uh, the issue has really been a, a fascinating one for me to cover. It's great to cover as a journalist. It hits on so many different angles of um, innovation, uh, public health, and also um, questions around whether the there's uh, any um, undue influence or cronyism, industry practices, business, and so on. Um, so that's uh, my, my sort of uh, little uh, backstory and how I, how I got into um, covering the vape issue. Uh, has any of your family or friends been directly affected by smoking um, and uh, things like that? Is there, is there things that are on the personal nature that uh, sparked your interest, or is it just, just the things that you were just mentioning? Yeah, it really is just the just the things I uh, I've, been, uh, I've been mentioning. My family has um, we've not really been uh, huge smokers. Any of us in particular, um, uh, we all have been smokers usually in our in our teen years, but um, we've all either totally given up or you know cut down to you know almost you know one a day sort of. So uh, smoking's not really been a, a huge thing for me. Uh, the um, e-cigarette and vape issue sparked a lot of my interest in that I've always found the activist side of the public health movement um, a sort of strange beast and why why it seems to me there is this um, innovative product uh, far better than its uh, tobacco rival in terms of health consequences but yet there's a huge skepticism on the part of many people in public health about embracing this product or not even entirely embracing it, just allowing it to thrive, to innovate, um, to be an option for consumers. And I was always uh, deeply puzzled as to, as to why that was the case and why uh, so many people wanted to clamp down and, um, and restrict this particular product and category. Yeah, so you'll have a good... You know, because um, you'll you'll have a good background as far as uh, you know the UK uh, and the EU uh, and the whole TPD thing, um, and then also what the FDA is doing. And and there has been you know historical points where 
um, the FDA and, and the UK have uh, battled as far as um, public health. Uh, and and the, the most famous example, I'm going to mispronounce the drug, is uh, the thalidomide, or or uh, it was. Oh, do you mean a uh, um, formaldehyde? No, not formaldehyde. It's uh, it was approved for women to help oh, with their yes. pregnancy. Thal- oh, um, uh, thalidomide. Thal- thalidomide. Yes. Yes. That's, uh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, and, and it, 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 that is a tough one. <laughs> right, and so that uh was approved in the UK, and then it was not approved in the United States. And it was approved for, I guess it was for women and uh, in their final term of, uh, or, or during the pregnancy, it was to, to help them with sort of symptoms. It was sort of a, a nice to have comfort thing. It was not a necessary uh, thing per se. And then it gave, you know, dramatic health uh, birth deformities. Um, and which it, it was experienced in Europe, but not experienced in the uh, because the FDA declined to approve it, and so it's it's kind of a bailiwick that the FDA uses uh, all the time uh, for how they justify some of their actions. It's it always comes up as how the FDA did something uh, that the UK didn't, um, and it, that I was you know reminding myself of this with what the with what the uh, Royal College of Physicians, uh, their report that just came out, uh, because if you, I think it was your article that that was talking about how the Royal College of Physicians uh, put out a warning uh, about the, the harms of cigarettes back in 1962, which was two mm-hmm. years earlier than uh, what was done by the FDA and their, their big... Uh, you know uh, what they the seminal paper they're calling it uh, on on cigarettes. So it, it is very interesting to me to see how uh, the two sides are, are addressing this issue. Um, mm. So th- with, with the UK, I mean, uh, that I guess let's let's talk about that. The, the latest two reports, the one from Addiction and the one from the uh, the Royal College of Physicians. How, how do you feel about those as as far as how they're being uh, characterized in the media. Well, I think the both, both reports, and I think they the reaction to both reports can be generalized more broadly. And whether reports come out, whether they are generally favorable towards a more relaxed position on the e-cigarettes or a more restrictive position on e-cigarettes, the media coverage generally when the RCP report came out. Um, was that was actually um, pr- pretty favorable. If you scan the headlines of a lot of major media outlets and so on, there was very um, very strong coverage. Uh, you know, not watering down what the RCP had said. Um, a lot of reputable outlets, um, uh, you know, reported the story absolutely straight um, and so on. So I think that's you know, uh, w- the RCP report was given a fair hearing. And I agree. And yeah, exactly. And I think the, you know, people would have walked away with the impression, oh, RCP, you know, it's, um, you know, nobody is, you know, above, above question, of course, and no reporters beyond question. Um, But, uh, but this is a a fairly hefty, credible piece of work. And that's very interesting. And and, uh, I'd like to know that. On the flip side, it has to be said, when similar reports that are not of the depth or standard of the RCP report um, come out, 
media outlets will generally cover them in the exact same way as the press releases accompanying those studies are put. Um, unfortunately, the, uh, there is a problem in a lot of journalism that the incentive to cover um, a report is generally to look for, you know, the juiciest bit um, of, uh, of the information of the report, put it as the headline and, and you know, fire, fire the gun first and ask questions later. Right. And um, that's... and. You know, and that goes both ways for um, reports that are positive to e-cigarettes and ones that are more detracting. So I, I, I don't entirely, you know, blame journalists for this. Uh, you know, their incentives are to get, you know, lots of hits on a story, to get the information out there very fast. And, you know, if they want to do a follow-up, they can. But it does mean that a lot of um, very, very questionable and dubious studies and data um, aren't really given the proper scrutiny that they deserve. And, you know, no journalist is, is, uh, is beyond reproach here. I'm sure I'm guilty of this as just as, uh, as much as anybody else um, is. But I think definitely in reaction to the RCP report, I thought we saw, you know, very good coverage, but that's because it was a, a, a good study with good news about e-cigarettes. If it, you know, the next time there is a study with a pretty... Um, you know, dire warnings about e-cigarettes, I'm pretty sure you'll see headlines going exactly the opposite way. Uh, it's not the media that really makes the weather in this, um, in this uh, particular debate. It is the, the authors of studies, the PR people who work to um, write up the press releases to these studies, and it dep- really depends on who's writing them, what their methodology is, and so on. So it's really up to the authors of studies to look at themselves, their methodologies, and their works, and say, is this credible? Um, and before I, you know, put it out to the world, put it out to the media, and you know, potentially influence the way uh, consumers behave. Right, and 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 who uh, actually determines which studies are going to be done is also something that is interesting to me, because I think that that what the the UK has been doing has been just real like real science they've been really addressing it by real science uh and i like watched a debate that was on the parliament floor um where both sides even the people that were against the e-cigarettes were 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 much more thoughtful about the prospects of this new technology actually having a benefit um and 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 not seeing that in the united states as much as as far as just a a real sort of academic uh standing on the science type thing and and it's kind of really disappointing and and i think that the fda is funding just a a dramatic amount of of studies i mean uh i think the number might be a hundred million dollars worth of studies are are funded or in the pipeline but my concern is how those studies are determined and and what they're going to be what the money is going to be used for for example uh, there's a study on Twitter uh, of how, you know, like advertising and mentions uh, affect the perceptions of vapors on Twitter and things like that. And to me, that is just junk science. Uh, <laughs> and I just don't know why it's being done. Uh, have you mm. been looking at some of those? Uh, type I mean, of th- there is, there is, I mean, you're totally right. That is the most incredible amount of garbage out there. And, you know, it, it, it is, you know, looking at, uh, going through people's social media accounts. I remember, you know, one looking at, a, um, there was a study done talking about uh, 
how to scout e-cigarette supporters on Twitter and, you know, all, 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 this, all, all this nonsense. And, and, the, and the, there's plenty of that around. And exactly as you say, it is amazing that, uh, you know, particularly government agencies with taxpayer dollars uh, are, are funding some of this stuff. You know, if a private company or research organization wants to pour their money into this, you know, God bless you, go for it. But, I mean, why government agencies, particularly those which are uh, allegedly responsible uh, for the nation's health or making recommendations about the nation's health, are, you know, burning through money on really incredible things that this uh, research that really would be laughed out of the room in any other field if it wasn't for public health and it wasn't for e-cigarettes. I was reminded and... They, they, they often get a free pass on this, both the FDA and the CDC, because they have the air of authority about them. They have the air of government agencies that are neutral and impartial. But, you know, as we all know, no agency or official is entirely impartial. And that is absolutely true for the FDA and the CDC. I remember very recently the CDC uh, talking about how um, youth tobacco use had stalled. Uh, since uh, I believe it was 2011, uh, but uh, someone will correct me. But and I was like, youth tobacco use has stalled since 2011. I, uh, that that's incredible. I'm not sure whether that's right. So you go into the CDC's report, and of course, youth tobacco use has consistently been falling. It, it, it hasn't stalled since 2011 at all. What they've done is they say that cigarette smoking amongst you know young people, high school students has continued to fall, but because vaping has risen, they say youth tobacco use has stalled because, of course, they classify e-cigarettes as a tobacco product. Now, the ordinary person listening to the news um, is going to think, oh, youth tobacco use has stalled. We've got to really make progress on this. It's like, no, we have been making progress. Fewer teens are smoking uh, are smoking cigarettes. There are more vaping, and they, uh, you know, teenagers and minors shouldn't have access to these products. But they are not smoking cigarettes. They are not using tobacco. So, uh, you know, willful misinformation put about by the CDC to put um, to equate e-cigarettes with regular cigarettes and, and somehow say, you know, we're, we're, in, we're in a bad situation. It's you really have to have to wonder what is what is behind uh, a lot of these attacks um, you know, on e-cigarettes and this and this pretty blatant misuse of uh, of, of information. Yeah, it's I, I I agree, and and then it's it's also uh, some of the questions that they use in in the in the studies or what they're doing is they're they're the studies on uh, the people that are under eighteen are all done by sort of volunteer surveys, um, and that's how they they do it. So I don't know where they they issue the surveys, how they collect them. You know, some of these surveys are done by soliciting people online, but they rely a hundred percent on the people, uh, the, you know, the under eighteen folks to respond, and that's that's how they gather the data and some of the the bias is shown just by the questions which could be far more clear they'll say have you used a uh, vapor product in the last 30 days mm. uh and, and instead of in so, so if if somebody was at a 
you know, a high school party. We know that high school parties exist. Uh, we know mm-hmm. that that even kids drink in high school. We know, you know, there. We know that you know teenagers do things. But they'll ask if they've tried it. Now, if they've yeah. if they've used it, they don't ask for any more information. So, if somebody was handed uh, a vaporizer and they took a single puff or a few puffs, then yeah. they are counted as a person that is a regular user. And and some of this information is you know it's really bad. Um, and then you'll have people like uh, Stanton Glantz, Doctor Glantz over at UCF, and he'll he'll compile the data in a meta study, and then he'll take disparatous information and then combine them all uh, as far as what what the youth population that is vaping is. So. The, the, yeah. it's, it's just really uh, difficult numbers. It's 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 incredible, and the and the fact is that you know um, any ordinary person, anybody with any common sense, would be would be able to know exactly as you say. Um, so many of these studies talking about particularly youth e-cigarette use are either are pretty much young people trying e-cigarettes. Um, young or young people having e-cigarettes instead of regular cigarettes, but exactly these studies, so many of them tell us little more than you know, um, t- teenagers experiment with, uh, with 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 certain types of substances. You know, a, a big deal. We have no, you know, we've known this for donkey's years, as you say. Children, you know, and high school students manage to get a hold of drugs, of alcohol, and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's. Uh, and but you know we don't say uh you know oh alcohol ever use you know somebody had a sip of beer they are a regular drinker you know at the age yeah. of 14 um we don't say that somebody you know uh, had you know um uh, a, a a bit of marijuana at a party and now they're you know regular regular marijuana smoker um but so many of these studies will exactly say that about vaping or leave open the possibility and allude to that possibility and suggest that um, that that's the case. But thankfully, um, the the good thing about uh, the debate at the moment, as far as I'm seeing it, is that um, studies like that meta study you mentioned by um, by Stanton Glantz, um, this absolutely horrendous mess study i think now notorious for you know how many holes you can you, you you can poke in that one but it that there was a big backlash of criticism from a substantial amount um of of medical officials saying you know this is being completely misused you can you, uh, your data you cannot draw the conclusions you're drawing from the data you have um uh, several authors of some of the studies he cited said you can't use our studies in this way. One of the people peer reviewing it rejected it. It was, you know, the BBC did an excellent um, program. I'd, I'd recommend it to anybody who's interested. Uh, um, if you're on a BBC Radio 4, this program more or less, uh, and um, go back to the episode when they talk about whether e-cigarettes um, help you quit, and they do an, an excellent breakdown of, uh, of this study, its flaws, and showing that no e-cigarettes really... Um, really do for many people substantially raise the chance of you um, either massively cutting down on regular combustible tobacco cigarette use or quitting cigarettes entirely. But, you know, as you say, at least there are, you know, many people in the scientific and medical community more and more willing now to come out and, and, and criticize the, 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 the bad or misleading research uh, of their colleagues. Yeah, and I do see a difference between uh, 
what is going on in, in the UK because it seems like the UK is just doing a, a, just a higher degree of, of, of study. I mean, just they're doing earnest studies that, that are not being really done as much in the United States. Um, and so that, you know, like the, 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 the report with the 95% that that's really important. And I'm just wondering mm. if one of the reasons why is because there is no MSA in the UK and then the funding for research is being done through the, the normal scientific process. Mm. Because I, the, my understanding is with the MSA, there's just a, an X amount that is allocated to, you know, anti-smoking, anti, uh, you know, against smoking and then against uh, for, for smoking cessation programs and smoking research. And so there is a glut of money that needs to go somewhere. It's probably a use it or lose it type thing. So when they're, if somebody says, let's study Twitter, uh, they're going to mm-hmm. be able to get funding. I've, I've seen a study that talks about if you show a uh, advertising of cigarettes to a person that is a uh, a vapor or or not a, or even not a vapor, uh, that they are more likely to want to pick up a cigarette and use it, and that's a study that is being done on that. Uh, that just if yeah. you show them an advert, and that's just a, a proof, a scientific proof that advertising works. And but a lot of money gets spent on these things, and it just blows me away. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I, de- I definitely think you raise an important question about, you know, the incentives of, uh, of, of research funding. So, I mean, it, it, exactly as you point out, you know, MSA research fund, you know, that could be something to do with it. I, I'd have to say I'd have to look into that um, closer before I uh, try to pass on too much comment on that. But definitely an, an incentive in where your funding is going will hugely matter if there is set allocated funds for research in one type of area, then you will, if you, if the, if the money is there, research will be produced for, for that money. You know, it's, um, nothing is, no, nobody's going to voluntarily, uh, leave that aside. Um, if there, you know, you incentivize something, you're going to get more of it. If you incentivize e-cigarette research, particularly certain kinds of e-cigarette research, for instance, if you wanted to incentivize um, research showing uh, the harms of e-cigarettes, perhaps rather than the harm reduction benefits, then you're going to get more of this kind of research. Um, or the quality of, uh, of that research may not be great, but if you're incentivized to do it, you will get more of it. So it's, um, I think it's definitely an important question to, to think about you know, the, the, the structures that exist that enable a lot of this to take place. But you know there are an enor- there's an enormous diversity in a lot of research funding. A lot of universities and um, um, and uh, charitable institutions will fund fund their own research on this. Some of which, again, will be highly dubious. So it's um, so so it's it's a mixed bag, and you never know quite what you're going to get. Um, the I think the the, the sort of constant uh, cry, you know, if if there needs to B one is just you know for 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 more research to counter the bad research you know I mean we shouldn't be um, worried about um, good research into uh, in, in, into new products on the market um, but we also need to see the other side of the coin if you have research entirely based around 
exploring the sort of relatively uh, minuscule or trivial harms um, of e-cigarettes as compared to combustible cigarettes. But, you know, no research at all or very little um, be, being granted into uh, into the potential of these devices. You know, what is the, what we, what would um, uh, what would the potential of, uh, of these devices look like if you know half of American smokers switch to e-cigarettes? What would what impact would that have um, on the country and so on? You know, we don't see as much of that kind of research as we should do. And to get and for policymakers, legislators, and the public to get a clear idea about what they want to think on this issue and how they want these products regulated um, and so on. They need to hear both sides of the issues, um, pro and con. Yeah, so let me just ask, how are uh, smokers treated in the UK, for example, uh, as opposed to the United States? In the United States, that uh, uh, people can't smoke uh, near the doorways even of places. So you'll see uh, smokers... Uh, huddled out in the rain, uh, you know, while they're, you know, when they're doing a smoke break. And they're, there's just, a, as far as the shaming of smokers um, and, and just making smokers feel absolutely guilty about every single action that they do, it's, it's, in the United States, it's, they've, they've won, the anti-smoking people have won to such a degree. It's the, the sin taxing and, and just the people feeling like sinners is just, off the scales. Uh, I mean, it's. Mm. I don't think they could win anything more. I think they've 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 won on that front so far, uh, so ahead that everything except making them illegal has been done. How are there, are people that are smokers treated in in the UK um, in relationship to that? As far as the workplace, uh, as far as uh, you know, just public usage of of actual smoking. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting the sort of. Uh, the culture that's um, developed in some Western societies towards smoking, the and as you say, the um, uh, essentially the tobacco prohibitionist movement has been winning hand over fist um, in the in these debates to ostracise smokers, to denormalise smoking, uh, to make it as inconvenient at every opportunity to smoke, um, to dictate to private establishments whether you can smoke indoors or not. Um, the, there was um, an excellent report uh, published by the Institute of Economic Affairs, um, which is a, a nanny state index. Uh, it, it only looks at Europe, but um, I, I think people will be able to um, draw a lot of um, parallels with what's happening in America. And it looks at which countries are most favorable to people who want to, you know, smoke, vape, eat, drink, and so on. And for smoking, you know, the, uh, the United Kingdom was one of the worst. Uh, the tax... The taxes on uh, regular cigarettes are absolutely gargantuan. Uh, I believe last time when I when I was there in the UK, I think you paid you were play, paying something like fourteen dollars, um, or maybe more for a packet of cigarettes. You know, extraordinary taxes and uh, far more than counter any negative externality that is um, inflicted from the National Health Service because the, the UK has a socialised medical care system. So um, the argument is always made, well, we need to increase the tax of cigarettes to pay for health care. Well, smokers cover the cost of their own health care more than three times in taxation. Um, so th- so it's, it's purely gouging smokers. And as you say, there, there, there is, there is a, 
a campaign of sort of ostracism. You know, it's uh, uh, you know you're sort of looked down upon uh, if you're uh, if you're a smoker if you decide to smoke. Um, but uh, I think there's there's something of a of a little bit of a backlash against that in the UK now uh, at the moment that. You know, if you, of course, if you try and demonize something so much, you'll have a backlash with it now being, you know, almost countercultural. Uh, you know, I've read several great articles of people, you know, still saying, you know, well, they still smoke because, you know, it is a, it is now something of a statement that I will not be told to do with my body by, you know, the busy bodies at Action on Smoking on Health or, or, or anybody else. In the US, I think culturally it's even stronger the sort of animus against um, cigarette smoking and tobacco, because I think um, uh, health is um, prized so highly in, in the society and also longevity of life. Um, and that things such as pleasure uh, are routinely sort of, you know, denigrated or trivialized is not amazingly important. And that a lot of people can't understand, oh, well, you know, how can you not try and absolutely maximize the, the your possible time on this earth? You know, wouldn't you, you know, give up smoking and drinking and, you know, fatty foods and just, you know, sip lentils out of a straw? Um, but, you know, most people, you know, aren't like that. But in the in the US, there are at least, you know, I, I believe there are some places, you know, some states indeed where you can smoke indoors. But a lot of that is, is dying out. And uh, the tobacco control movement is... Um, uh, pretty inexorable. There are plenty of places still on mainland Europe which are, um, are pretty uh, are pretty liberal when it comes to smoking laws. There, the Czech Republic and Austria and um, Germany, lots of other countries um, don't have indoor smoking bans and uh, have been um, relatively relaxed about smoking. But definitely, the the United States, um, the UK, and also Australia. Uh, have been particularly puritanical uh, when it's come when it's come to um, uh, demonizing smokers, taxing tobacco, and um, try, trying to trying to ostracize that activity. Yeah, I think that pleasure is actually something is a quotient that uh, has to be considered by the FDA. That if if people are getting enjoyment out of the the nicotine usage, that's mm. something they do have to to consider to some sort of uh, some sort of degree. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that, yeah, the importance of pleasure cannot be overstated because it's, it is impossible for the FDA or a think tank or any other economic organization to make a rational calculation about how to regulate and tax a product without uh, considering the pleasure it gives to the individual. Why is a person buying a cigarette? Now, public health people might say, oh, that's, you know, terribly addicted to the nicotine, they're totally, you know, uncontrollable, they're being slavishly forced to buy this product. That's actually not the case. Um, They are entering into a willing transaction with a provider for a product they want at a price they like. Otherwise, they would not be buying it. When two people exchange something, it is because both parties benefit. If both parties didn't benefit, the exchange would not take place. And what the person who is buying the cigarettes is getting out of that is the enjoyment of smoking tobacco. Now, the, only they can judge how much enjoyment that gives them and how they can weigh that up against other goods. So they might, they might buy a packet of cigarettes if it's $5.80. They might not if it's $10. But only that individual person knows how much it is worth to them and whether it's in their own interest to buy it. Now, as long as they are informed 
about the health risks of a product, um, whether that's cigarettes, um, e-cigarettes, alcohol, anything else. As long as you're broadly aware of the, of the risks and trade-offs, you're saying, I'm going to purchase this product, uh, I'm going to get some enjoyment out of it, but it's going to have adverse consequences for my health. Only that person is in a position to make that calculation. A third party, particularly distant ones such as governments, are hopeless at making those kinds of decisions for us. And it is a real interference, not just with our quality of life, but our liberty as citizens, when the products we choose to consume in our, in our, um, in our leisure time and so on, at work and whatever, then become the prerogative of an outside agency who says, who says, this is bad for you. In fact, your priorities are wrong. You shouldn't prioritize pleasure. You should prioritize longevity of life. You should try and live for absolutely as long as you can. Well, that is not actually the business of the FDA, the CDC, the government, or anybody else. That's the business of the individual who is engaging in that activity. Right, but we have uh, certainly what the the concept is known as the nanny state uh, here in the United States. I don't know how strong that is uh, prevalent in, in the UK. Far too strong. So it's the same thing over there. Yeah. Um, it, it's, there's this whole term called, uh, I mean, there there is something about smoking where there is exhaust of smoke uh, that goes out into the environment. And so there is some amount of reasonableness as far as uh, people being concerned about somebody using a product in their midst that could be harmful. So that takes away mm. from the whole, uh, you know, the value of the pleasure uh, to the, the person that, that uses the product itself because it does have an effect on other people. There's a lot of people that talk about how all the secondhand smoke stuff uh, is absolutely bogus and that there's no evidence. Well, there could be. Uh, as far as the the cancer aspects, uh, how much a person from light uh, contact with cigarette smoke is mm-hmm. is likely to to get uh, you know a, a disease? But I think it's absolutely fair that a person says that the smoke stinks, uh, that it might get in their clothes, yeah. and mm-hmm. and so there there are those things, uh, and, and so those are reasonable, and so I understand I totally. I to- I, to- I totally agree that those are all reasonable objections, but it's it's always context dependent, right? It's it's always you know, of course that's reasonable for somebody to say, uh, you know, I don't like secondhand smoke. It smells, you know, it's bad for my lungs. It gives me a off, you know, totally, totally fine, and absolutely, I'm, I'm uh, not not advocating we stop blowing, you know, smoke or or anything in people's faces. But if somebody says says to me, you know, you can't do that in your own home, or your own car, or even your own business for that matter, then it's a different thing. The question is who's who has ownership or rights uh, into that particular space in which the smoke is being smoked. So, for instance, the classic, you know, example is a restaurant or a bar. Um, I'm, I, I know it's, it's, it's not the um, prevailing view at the moment. and we, It may have lost this fight, but I'm absolutely confirmed of Vince, uh, convinced of the view that it is up to the person who owns that establishment to decide whether it's going to be a smoking establishment, a part-smoking establishment, or a non-smoking establishment. And now we have um, crazy, crazy laws being dreamt up in the UK that now you can't you can't even smoke in your own car if there are, you know, if the, if there if there are children in the car, you know. Smoking. Yeah, I'm aware of that one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a pretty, you know, I think it's a pretty obnoxious thing to do, you know, smoking, you know, if you're 
got kids in the car. But I mean, you know, realistically, is this something that's ever going to be enforced? And especially if you have the windows down, you know, it's 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 trying to police those micro aspects of life, um, which exactly, as you say, the nanny state is just, you know, running, running amok. Yeah, I would used to think that those type of laws are unenforceable, but then if if uh, I actually read the Drudge Report, and uh, they there's so many examples of these laws that actually get used. I, I think I, I saw something about uh, what was it today? Some some sort of kid got in trouble for for something in school. I mean, they, there's this whole zero tolerance policy that has been adopted by many schools, and so. Uh, there's a, the famous one of the the kid that held a banana and and someone and, and went bang bang like it was a gun, uh, mm. you know. And you know they're used to, they used to sell cap guns and stuff uh, in stores. Yeah. And I mean there are, but just because he did that, uh, he got expelled from the school, never to come back to the oh school. There was another case of a of a of a kid that took a piece of bread and bit it into a shape of a, of a gun. And then that was the zero tolerance policy. He got expelled. And then the parent actually has to fight to get the kid back in school. So I used to think that these, these kind of crazy laws are, 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 are wouldn't have any real effect, but as we see, at least of what I'm seeing, I, they actually get used on a person. Uh, and and usually it, it's you know a, a mother somewhere that has to mm-hmm. fight it. and there's no you would I guess there's it, sometimes there's a belief that some sort of lawyer is going to swoop in and defend this woman because of the yeah, the, the start but it saved the day because it's so ridiculous they don't fly in and it yeah. I think people think there's going to be a GoFundMe campaign to mm. to do that I mean I, I saw for example on, on this in this vein there was a father that went in. Uh, to pick up his son from school and everybody the the policy was that they had to everybody has to drive and wait through uh, a line of cars and they deliver the kid out to the line of cars well this guy walked over to the school the father and he said I'm picking up my son and they refused to give uh, the father is son. They would not release the the son to the father, and then so that because the the father started to get a little mm. bit belligerent, they called the police, and the police actually came in and arrested this guy, and oh they took God. him off to jail. Uh, and so, with with some of these laws, like uh, you know, not being allowed to smoke in a car um, with a child, you would think that it wouldn't have that much effect, but then you take it to a small city or something. And then these laws actually do get used. Um, so I, I, I also recall that the specific case you're talking about with smoking in the UK, as far as a child. And then the, uh, the health director, uh, did not uh, specifically did not apply it to vaping. Uh, but people got very upset about it still. Um, so, I mean, I think there's, yeah, I mean, no doubt. I mean, unfortunately, I mean, the hopefully at least for e-cigarettes and vaping the um because of the stance of public health england and and the royal college of physicians um and lots of other people who are doing good work in the uk hopefully the line against those sort of uh, really idiotic laws like banning vaping cars can be held but i would um but i definitely you know sound a note of caution wherever you know Wherever the law goes for cigarettes, people will push it for e-cigarettes. It it is, you know, the slippery slope of public health um, that, you know, once they, you know, once they, once they've 
got what they wanted, they move on to the next thing. It's never enough. Like you were saying earlier, they've, they, they, they won't be satisfied until, you know, all tobacco use is gone, all, all cigarette use is gone. And then, the, and then they'll, you know, have, ha, have this bizarre obsession with being militantly anti-nicotine because, you know, it's somehow immoral or, you know, all, all these bizarre things. I'm, I'm afraid the, you know, the, 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 it's that great H.L. Mencken quote, you know, the greatest fear of a Puritan is that somewhere, somebody somewhere may be happy. And um, I, I'm afraid that will be the attitude of a lot of, um, of, a lot of the public health lobby. Well, this is going back a while, but uh, my understanding is that the, uh, the Puritans escaped uh, from uh, Great Britain back in the day, and they, they all landed yes. in the United States. So I think the Puritans still have <laughs> a, a stronghold uh, here. <laughs> Yeah, especially, especially especially in the northeast, I've no, I, I've noticed there's quite a, there's quite a hotbed of uh, of uh, the um, the uh, anti anti tobacco anti nicotine anti e cigarettes becoming uh, becoming the northeast especially. So what what I am seeing in the UK is that there is more of a reliance on science than I think is being done in the United States. Uh, there's been comments from your health directors like. Uh, we agree that vaping is being used successfully as a replacement to cigarettes. They will say that straight out. That and and I, the, Mitch Zeller has said that it, w- it wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody were to flip a light switch and every single smoker became a vapor. There'd be unquestionable health benefit. So that that's kind of an extreme, but that extreme will never happen. So maybe that's why people feel safe about saying that. But I've seen comments, uh, and I think I've got one here of who said it. Uh, hold on just a second. Uh, Dr. Penny Woods, chief executive of the British Lung Foundation, warned of the lack of conclusive evidence on the long-term impact of e-cigs. And she says, amongst the wider population, we know many smokers have found e-cigarettes a useful aid to quitting. So she says that She's saying that there is efficacy of using electronic cigarettes. And then she, she, then her next sentence is, however, until such time as more research has clarified the long-term health impact of vaping, we wouldn't advise the use by non-smokers. And so that's, even, that's still even pretty good because they're saying that non-smokers sh- shouldn't adopt it. But so, so there's an acknowledgement of their functionality yeah. in the U.K., and then it's it's bound by you know the the long term research now this that quote from her is is literally a year ago so since then there's been the uh public health england and then there's been uh these the journal of addiction and the uh royal college of physicians have all put out their reports so i would believe although i i, I certainly haven't asked her that dr penny woods of the british lung foundation would be uh happy to see this data and and I'm not saying that facetiously. I think that she mm. is more likely to uh, to want to adopt it uh, or or to to buy into the main premise of the Royal College of Physicians that uh, vaping should be encouraged uh, as a means of quitting uh, rather than than not. Um, yeah. So I mm. do you know uh, have have any. Uh, like the British Lung Foundation, have they commented at all about uh, these latest studies? Have, are you aware of that? Uh, I'm not aware of that specific case. Uh, I'd, I'd have to double check, but I would I, I would imagine that the response actually would be positive. I know that um, I believe it was Cancer Research UK 
um, was very positive about um, the Royal College of Physicians report um, uh, concluding that e-cigarettes would be a great tool for harm reduction, that these things should be encouraged, that if you've had trouble, uh, that if you want to quit and you've had trouble with nicotine, you know, patches, gums, Trantix, all the rest of it, that, you know, e-cigarettes might be an option for you. So I definitely know a lot in, uh, of people in, in the space of cancer research and, um, uh, and in cancer charities um, welcomed, welcomed the RCP report. And I'm, sure, and I'm sure many more will as well, because the, at the end of the day, this is fundamentally a good news story. This is essentially a good news story. Yeah, definitely. You know, we would. This is. We should be celebrating the fact that that this stuff is working for so many people who want to quit and are quitting. That um, it's 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 creating a boom industry. That it, it's amazing that in in today's world we now have a, a, a booming industry that is making billions of dollars by getting people who want to quit smoking, quit smoking in a manner they enjoy. That is a fantastic good news story. And it really shouldn't be suffocated relatively at birth by, um, uh, by, by an ultra-zealotry of, uh, of, the, of the old anti-tobacco uh, campaigners who, you know, don't like the look of it and, you know, it kind of looks like smoking. And yeah, it's, it's, it, may, it may be 95% safer, but it's, there's still 5% risk to it. Well, you know, come on. It's, it, you know, we've got, we've got to live in reality here. And the, the main point that I think we'll, we'll take away from uh, a lot of these good news stories is that hopefully it'll translate to politicians and regulators that, in actually, we want to let this industry flourish and boom because the products will only get better from here. We will have more innovation in the e-cigarette space. The products will become more safer, not less safer, and that they, they can become even more appealing to smokers who want to quit, whether that's in terms of flavorings, nicotine strengths, you know, size, shape, anything, anything like that. So I think... I think there is a there's a, a mood, at least in the UK at the moment, that we should be on the right side of history when it comes to these things. This is a a public health miracle, essentially, born out of entrepreneurship. Yeah, I, I, it, I hate to say the word miracle, just because I think it's it's a dramatic movement and it has significant success, but um, miracle is is I don't know. I'm 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 skeptical of miracles i guess maybe well, maybe that's I, it I think, I think it's, it's probably in my in the natural journalistic tendency for hyperbole probably uh, kicking in there right uh so yeah and, and then there's another quote here from uh professor uh robert west uh, are you familiar with that guy from the university yes, of yeah, uh very much so. and uh this is what he said uh uh that uh researchers behind studies show that uh, he said that uh Bad studies on e-cigarettes are easy to do and easy to get in the top journals, which are hungry for publicity. Uh, good studies are hard to do and difficult to get into top journals if they do not lead to scare stories. Uh, yeah. And so that's his perspective. And I have heard of backlashes against, uh, you know, doctors, uh, you know, t who are doing uh, studies uh, that could be perceived as pro-electronic cigarettes. Um, 
and and it's maybe the backlash is that they just get zero funding and then it's the whole thing with scientists it's publish or perish and if they can't get any funding to publish they're going to perish so uh i again I, I keep on going back to it i just don't see the same um attack or the, or the same skepticism or the the same lack of scientific rigor in the UK that I do see in the United States uh I believe that what what just the dialogue and the discussion in the UK is just so much better, um, and they, I, I'm not aware of a of a Doctor Glance uh, from UCSF uh, that equivalent in the UK. Uh, is are there uh, these adamant uh, you know uh, chest thumping anti vaping people inside of the UK? Uh, and I'm just asking because I have no clue. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, un- un- unfortunately, they they really are everywhere, <laughs> and uh, um, I'm afraid it's hard to escape them. There's a, um, a, a, a particularly loathsome character um, called uh, um, Professor Martin McKee. Um, I believe is the um, uh, Lon- uh, I believe it's the uh, University of London Tropical Studies um, and so on. Who's who's uh, adamantly, you know, one of the most fear mongering. Um, people in public health when it comes to e-cigarettes. Um, I mean, I mean, he, he, he knew relatively little, if anything about them before, I believe it was, um, 2011 or 2012 when he wrote a blog post saying that they would never take off. And, you know, it was a total waste of time. Uh, and he's, he's been, uh, thanks to some freedom of information requests by, um, uh, a, a great, um, UK, uh, UK blogger, um, uh, Dick Puddlecoat, um, whose who's blog, by the way, is absolutely fantastic. I'd recommend people to to uh, go to it um, uh, to look at uh, real debunking stories of uh, all this, all the scaremongering nonsense that's going on. And he's been in correspondence, you know, with the chief medical officer in the UK, trying to tr- uh, trying to send her things, you know, saying, you know, oh, on you know the, these e-cigarettes, they're terrible. Uh, the Public Health England report is, you know, corrupted somehow by the tobacco industry. All these sort of ludicrous conspiracy theories. Um, so, so I'm afraid, I'm afraid you do get these sort of zealots um, everywhere who, you know, despite who really aren't interested in the evidence. They're not even really interested in public health. It, it, it really is just a, just a matter of uh, of controlling people's life choices. Yeah, and then it's with the. Are, are you familiar with the the abuse principle? Um, that's something that I was uh, that they were talking about uh, at one of these FDA workshops. Uh, are you familiar with the abuse principle? Uh, I don't believe I am. It's uh, it's been a while now. It's uh, it's something where if if somebody is is more likely to use a product that is bad for them, that would be the nature of of nicotine. Uh, and if so, it was because cigarettes have an abuse principle uh, or quotient that is high that uh, it's a negative because they will tend to use more of the product that is bad for them uh, because of, say, the pleasure. Uh, but the, the person got up and said that the abuse principle for vaping would actually be a positive because if they're likely to abuse or excessively use vaping, they would actually it'd be a public health benefit um it was an interesting concept uh that i that i'd uh, seen uh and I, I need to to go back to that and find it because that's that is apparently a, a type of scientific measure that is used um wh- what do you think about um 
you know, when we're talking about the, the stories that go out there, the whole formaldehyde scares and uh, some of the, the stuff that, that is going on with that. Like, for example, the, there was an FDA study that was done in 2009 uh, by the FDA where they found, I believe it's diethylene glycol in one of the nine samples that was mm. used in which it was a, it wasn't a, a gigantic amount, but it was like an impurity and it probably came from a Chinese company that was doing things the mm. wrong way. However, that, uh, which is the, uh, the toxic antifreeze, uh, that is still quoted out by all of these groups still as being a core constituent of what is found in electronic cigarettes, even though it, it was only one out of the nine and it was one of the, it was a bad company, a Chinese company, it's still being quoted out. And so you see that there's like a bad study that's done. Uh, and this wasn't even a study. It was just a, uh, a survey by the FDA. Yeah. Uh, that, and then it just gets repeated and repeated and repeated. And, and you then can't... It, it just becomes, it becomes, you know, it becomes fact, you know, right. repeat it enough and, you know, it just becomes fact. Yeah. And, and it's worse because there, there were at, at some point there was a tiny, there was a tiny point to it. But for you to be able to unwind that to explain what's going on with that, it's just so difficult. And and the one that is more famous is uh, now is the formaldehyde, uh, and that's so they took the devices and then they uh, basically. Um, which is what I was saying to people, uh, th- there's been studies done that hot dogs cooked on barbecues are carcinogenic. And it's true. Okay. If you burn a hot dog uh, yeah. on a uh, on a uh, grill, that it becomes carcinogenic. Yeah, so, this is the whole, uh, w- well, um, when the, the World Health Organization had us all fearing that, uh, you know, we're all going to die of cancer from, uh, you know, all, all, our, all, our, all our meat eating and uh, c- cooking to... Cooking too much of it, yeah. It's um, and it's so what crazy. the researchers did is that they took some devices and they they found that when they were used per the manufacturer's instructions, mm. they did not produce formaldehyde. They just like or the yeah. levels were just absolutely tiny. They were essentially zero. They were close yeah. enough to trace, but then they they just bumped up the uh, the watts. They you know, they cooked the e liquid, and then yeah. when they cooked exactly. it, it yeah. then it then they found it. Um, and, and then another aspect is that there are some small traces. Uh, I mean, we're talking traces uh, of formaldehyde in some of the raw e-liquids. It does exist there, too. But I'm pretty sure that when I exhale my breath, there is also trace amounts of formaldehyde in my breath. Just It's just a, mm-hmm. a normal thing. Um, and so it's, it's very difficult, uh, especially, and again, I'll go back to Glance. He's, he is... Um, He's an expert at, at taking these items and exploiting them uh, and then creating a meta study that that supports this. Um, and so I, I, I you know if you want to speak to it. Uh... Yeah, I mean, definitely the, the formaldehyde scare has been, you know, one of the most often used and quoted. I, I was actually uh, interviewing uh, a, a, a state legislature, a state legislator in Utah. Uh, when y- Utah was um, this particular legislator wanted to put an 86% tax uh, on e-cigarettes. And uh, this was being very hotly debated at the time. Uh, and th- this incredibly sad organization called Students Against Electronic Vaping uh, that was, you know, at, at, a, at a high school, uh, you know, w- which like lobbied for this tax, you know, and the, the high school, they bust all these children up to the state house to 
go and lobby for this tax. And I thought, well, how outrageous is this? Children are being ch- children are being taken out of school, so you know, perhaps you know, to lobby for a huge tax increase, um, probably against some of their parents as well. I, I thought it was absolutely bizarre. Um, and and also, what kind of like high school students spend their last year in high school setting up a prohibitionist society? Essentially, I was like, you know, um, I was like, come on. But this this legislator, he told me in no uncertain terms, he guaranteed me vapors were going to be dying of uh, uh, of formaldehyde poisoning within like you know five years uh, and ten years uh, because of vaping, and and it, 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 it's it's unworldly. Now the, the the sort of nonsense that's spoken about formaldehyde. Um, I, I think there has been a little bit of a pushback against that. I th- I've, I've noticed that um, I've noticed that a lot of journalists now are starting to put in their copy. You know that well. You know levels of formaldehyde. You know they definitely depend on you know the voltage. And of course, if you you know whether they're being tested under actual real world conditions in which you in which you would actually vape rather than you know heat them up so high that you can't even inhale the stuff you know yeah and, and, uh, and i'm aware of a new study that was done that that compared um the different types of devices and tanks uh so there's been a progression of the tank technology of how things are how things so it started off with uh with these cartomizers which are uh a little bit of gauze uh or, and the, the gauze has the e-liquid put on top of it and it just holds it like that like a wet sponge and then uh it's in a little metal container so some of the studies that they did they found traces of metal uh in the uh the exhaust again when we're talking about traces we're talking about real traces uh, yeah and yeah. uh and so then that's where you'll see uh, Stanley Glantz says, and there's been heavy metals found in the vape. Uh, and that's, that's because there, you know, something was found, but it was with an older technology. Uh, and so with, with vaping, um, with, with, the, with these new tanks in the study, it was basically showing that as, you, uh, as the progression of these tanks come through, and, and the way I'll say it, the progression, as these tanks that are newer and they taste better, the, the people taste and they say this tastes better, uh, it, it has the, um, uh, it, they have less formaldehyde uh, and less, and they just test cleaner uh, as you get to these newer type of devices. And what I'm thinking uh, and basically saying is that the reason why they taste better is because they burn cleaner and that taste is a real good way of of knowing whether you're getting uh bad junk along with your nicotine uh you know in your vape um mm. so uh, and that was the whole the whole dry puff thing is that when a person uh that dry puff comes from people that drip so they they put the there there's not a, a reservoir of the e-liquid uh not they they put it on there and then as that that small uh amount goes away that you can have the 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 wick be dry and then as soon as the person notices that it's dry that they haven't re refueled the wick then they'll get a bad taste and then they'll stop vaping and they'll start you know they'll they'll put more liquid on it so that dry puff is what is often talked about but i think what this newer study talks about uh just the usage of the tanks and then i noticed i i could i know that people talk about the newer tanks being tasting better, so I think that taste and the and the user's perception goes a long way into detecting 
junk, almost like bad mm. food. You can you mm. can tell junk, uh, and mm. so I don't know how uh, the the researchers are going to be able to account for this because they usually tend to want to use things against a puffing machine, um, and the puffing machine has no comprehension of how a thing tastes. So once they start the original formaldehyde study, there there wasn't a user saying that that tastes terrible. Don't don't vape that. Um, yeah. No, so, no, in, indeed. And I think it's, um, it's, it, it's one of the big things I think we'll see happening is it not just, as you, as you say quite rightly, you know, consumers um, and vapors themselves are going to be, um, you know, look at, look at the quality of that progress and we'll be able to taste the quality of that product. But, you know, this, the e-cigarette space is immensely competitive. Um, that, you know, we've got, you know, thousands of, you know, independent uh, vape shops and companies and so on. You know, companies are going to be competing on this. And one of the one of the you know the basic things they're going to be competing on is the taste of the product, the quality of the product, but also the safety of the product. So the the incentives are all aligned for e-cigarette manufacturers and companies to make the best possible product. One of the um, implicit criticisms uh, that comes from uh, the sort of general sort of prohibitionist lobby of e-cigarettes. Is that you know these just you know nasty manufacturers are putting all this junk in there? They just want to get you hooked, and they don't really care you know what they're putting in there. It, it, it's not actually true. Uh, the, these companies need to compete for business in a very tough world, and they they are going to be able to, and they should be able to. It's very hard because of FDA rules, but to be able to market themselves based on safety, which and they, they can't actually at the moment because of the FDA, but definitely exactly as you say. On, on, on the quality of their products, you know, ma- making sure there's imperfections, impurities, and so on aren't there. And this will only get better as long as, long as the products are allowed to innovate. So uh, yeah, some of the things that, that a couple other things is that uh, when they came out with the, the, the FDA came out with the 1964 report regarding uh, cigarette usage, uh, the, the tobacco companies were certainly lying to to people about the nicotine uh, and and mm. the the tobacco and what they were there's that famous movie uh, the insider that talks about how they were using coumadin uh, to uh, dose the nicotine so uh, it, people would have a higher nicotine count so th- they were definitely doing things like that but there's also a lot of people that say that the tobacco companies lied to us and there's young people there that you know this is kind of how the the anti-smoking uh, people operate is that they say that you know the tobacco companies lied to us, and that we let's not get fooled mm. again. And mm. like the the California Department of Public Health uh, puts out uh, messages, and and the last line is uh, they show kids holding a small packaging, and and the packaging is is for tobacco products. The kids don't even know what's inside of it. It's you know sealed mylar. There's no smell or anything, and so. So at the end of that commercial, they say, who do you think the tobacco companies are marketing to? Uh, and, and so that, that stuff just comes out and then it then gets used against vapors, too. And so there's this whole thing that the tobacco companies lied uh, and that we had no clue that mm-hmm. smoking was bad until 1964. Nobody had a clue. Now, to me, smoking is obviously bad because it's smoke. Nobody can think that inhaling smoke into your lungs is a positive. There's no animal or nothing on the evolutionary chart yeah. that has ever 
ingested smoke and it you know there's a term called smoke damage and that applies to all sorts of things so there has to be damage uh and then uh, if you if you just look at the end of the filter, if you're using a filtered cigarette, it's clearly after its use, it's brown. So if the filter is catching that, it that whatever that brown that tar is That's gonna, going, it, it, it's, going it's, into your lungs, yeah. So mm. so there's this perception that that they're now using this. There's a professor uh, Jackler over at Stanford that studied the advertising, and he's making the case that. Uh, that vapor companies are now lying to uh, people and they're using the same sort of campaigns yeah. as the cigarette companies. And I think that, uh, and then there's there's some vapors that even say, well, the tobacco companies lied to us. Well, I don't know how anybody felt lied to uh, after 1964 because in 1964, that report came out. It was absolutely damning. I mean, it, it just, there's no question that smoking is bad for you. And I used to make jokes as as a kid that I would watch all these studies coming out and it seemed like they were just wasting a tremendous amount of studies because they would find that normal amounts of vitamins are helpful they'd always do studies on you know <laughs> and, and just you know not not mega doses of vitamins they'd say you know this vitamin C is helpful you know vitamin yeah. B vitamin D you know normal amounts of vitamins are helpful so a, a vitamin a multivitamin is helpful uh, there was actually a really good uh, study I saw that came out of the UK on vitamins where they t- they t- tested giving vitamins to school-age kids, and they found that uh, test scores for one-third of them uh, had no change. For one-third of them, they had like a slight decline, but for one-third of the, the students, they their scores increased dramatically. Mm. And so that just... To me, that was that there had deficiencies. But the, besides the vitamin studies uh, that are, that are being done, is that they would just prove that smoking kills you. You know, it says smoking does this. It, you know, it it kills you this way. It kills you this way. They have they've done so many different studies on the way that smoking kills you. Uh, it's just at nauseum. And so, uh, so we know that they kill you. And then, in at least in the United States, there's these warning labels that have been put on since at least the the early 70s that says. Uh, you know, smoking causes cancer, it will kill you. Mm. It's a gigantic warning label. So there's not a single mm. user that is of of 40 years old uh, or, or younger or even... Everybody knows that smoking kills you, and but they're trying to make the case that uh, we didn't know then. We, we had to wait for the science to come in. I'm, my argument is that nobody needed to wait for the science. It's smoke. Of course it's bad. And that that the companies were lying to us so then they make the same assertion that vapor companies are lying to the public in their advertising um, yeah what what do you think of the whole concept of renormalization uh renormalization i think is a total fantasy that only exists in the mind of vaping prohibitionists uh the um vaping renormalizes nothing it is vaping. Uh, it's not smoking. The concept that it renormalizes smoking is absurd. Eating, you know, um, uh, eating oranges, uh, you know, d- doesn't mean we're about to see, you know, a huge surge in apple eating. You know, it, it, it's they're two they're two entirely different things. And uh, as the um, uh, Royal College of Physicians report um, uh, said itself, there is, is absolutely zero evidence for this. So. Um, it's definitely one of the one of the more fact free scare stories of uh, of anti of anti e cigarette activism. So is I think Chantex is sold as Champex or something like that in the UK. 
I think so. It very, yeah. very well, very well, might be. Yeah. And, and is the uh, in the United States, Chantix is being offered out uh, to to as a as a useful tool. Um, and I don't know if it's it has it has a black box warning in the United States. So that means the the FDA says that the doctor has to use this product as a very last resort uh, yeah. as as a means of treatment. And I don't believe that that's how this product is being treated in the United States. And the black box warning goes over various risks, but it also goes over the suicide risk. Uh, and then the people, the numbers are about 600 people have been documented to have died as a result of suicide after the use. And it, to me that this is a, a highly dangerous product because it, it affects the neurotransmitters in the brain. And mm -hmm. that seems to be a crazy way of, uh, of, of, of trying to get a person to, to stop a habit. Uh, is that so? That product is also being recommended in the UK. Um, I'm not absolutely sure on uh, whether this product is recommended uh, by the National Health Service or Public Health England. Uh, I would say um, there is, um, uh, as you say, there are a lot of um, there's a, there's quite a bit of evidence that you know Chantix may have you know. Um, particular effects uh, on on your behavior, on your character. It, yeah, it, 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 may, it, may, it may be somewhat somewhat of a riskier product, and it's, and it's, it's something of a last resort. But um, it's definitely established now. Uh, is so if it's being recommended over there. Uh, so what what do you think the ties to big pharma are, and how does big pharma relate into the whole vaping uh, perspective? Because I, I believe, obviously, Chantix is is probably about an eight hundred million dollar product, um, and so there is obviously some incentive there. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think that big pharma is affecting the whole vape situation, and how would you characterize that? I mean, there's one, there's definitely a relationship. Uh, you see this. It's not unique to the pharmaceutical uh, to the pharmaceutical industry, and it's not unique to the e-cigarette debate. Incumbent established industries will always want to put up barriers to entry to prevent competition to their product. We see this. The same is absolutely true of taxi unions and Uber. Taxi unions resent the competition that Uber gives them because Uber provides um, a better service at a lower cost. Right, right. But the but same, the, is, the, the same the, is exactly true in the it's it's right. different though with, with big pharma because big pharma has a relationship to the the who funds these studies. So the the studies that are being funded. Uh, the people that need the funding, it comes from the medical community, uh, the the pharmaceutical community, and so one of the reasons we're probably getting less amounts of studies is because there's no, uh, they can't sell nicotine as a patent product, um, and so that yeah, that's that's absolutely uh, that, that's absolutely part of the problem in that uh, firms such as GlaxoSmithKline, uh, AstraZeneca, um, you know. Uh, pl pl plenty of others may have an interest in um, in poor research showing up uh, e-cigarettes as uh, as um, uh, in a bad light as compared to already FDA approved products which they sell. You know, um, uh, of course. Um, however, it's um, it's important to say that there may be an association there, and I'm definitely sure that uh, the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, has has not covered itself in glory um, uh, in this debate at all. Um, however, there are um, there are some. I remember I was looking at one the other day. That there are some uh, studies fu funded uh, by pharmaceutical companies which are not entirely um, 
anti-e-cigarette or anti-vaping. So whilst I broadly agree with you, it's not, uh, it, it's, it's not the whole picture, but I definitely think we can say that um, the pharmaceutical industry has, um, really has a big interest here and is one of the main drivers to try and uh, discredit um, the uh, benefits that e-cigarettes could bring. What are the taxes in the UK as far as uh, you know cigarettes and, uh, and, and vaping products? What, what's the situation with, the, with taxes that is being done in, in the UK? Uh, I'd say uh, off, the, uh, off the top of my head, uh, I can't actually remember what uh, the current taxes are on vapor and e-cigarette products at the moment. I know for uh, tobacco products as in genuine tobacco products such as uh, uh, stick cigarettes, uh, the Chancellor uh, raised tobacco duty again in his budget. Tobacco taxes are a very popular uh, money-raising mechanism for the Chancellor, although te- tobacco taxes in the UK have reached such, such an extent that there is a, a huge black market now for tobacco of uh, over £10 billion. But uh, as far as I'm aware, the tax situation in the UK uh, with regards to vaping is, um, is, is, is not... Uh, it's not especially onerous uh, as compared to um, uh, as compared to other similar uh, Western European economies. So you've got how many people? I think I've seen the number about two point six million vapors in the in the UK. Is that correct? I believe so. We've um, uh, we've now that, that might be uh, that. I think those are the latest figures. Or was that for twenty fifteen? Am I right? Right. So I mean, it, it's. I think you guys are quantifying it pretty good, as far as I can tell. And these are the numbers that I'm using as accurate is that there was a study done by Reuters of how many people are actively vaping in the United States and it was 10%. Uh, and so from 10%, that, that would be uh, 24 million uh, because there's about 240 million adults. So that'd be 24, uh, 24 million. Uh, and so then the CDC says that uh, 75% of the vapors are dual users. And so mm. if you take that number together, you would have uh, six million people uh, that have actively uh, quit smoking with the use of mm. vapor, according to the CDC. That, those are mm. the numbers that I'm putting together, at least. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, I think that, that the efficacy is pretty solid. Uh, um, and but, but most of the really solid numbers, I, I just think, in general, I'm sorry, but uh, the UK is just doing a better job of, of having real numbers rather than just standard fear-mongering. Um, mm. Now, there, there's a lot of belief that uh, with with uh, that education is a large factor as far as smoking usage and 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 usage is is that how the public campaigns are being done in the UK that if, if only people were to know the risks that that uh, they would then quit cigarettes. I mean, I have to say, I think the the. In terms of public education, especially with regards to children about the risks of smoking, um, the, the U.S. and the U.K. are are, 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 are not worlds apart. I mean, uh, it's I think it's pretty much uh, impossible to go through a high school with, uh, without a, a solid knowledge that uh, cigarettes are bad for you or that they're undesirable. Um, so I think anybody who's gone through some sort of basic education in the U.K. or the U.S., will will know that cigarettes are bad for use. And so and it is true that youth tobacco use both in the UK and the US has been plummeting. And that's really been one of the key reasons for it is education. Um, kids are being told from a very early age, don't smoke, it's incredibly bad for you. It'll shorten your life expectancy. 
Um, so that's been one of the drivers that's uh, led to the massive declines in youth smoking that we've seen um, over the past several decades. All right. Uh, I, I, uh, and then that, that, that Reuters study that I was telling you about uh, that was done in June of uh, 10th on two, one, 2015, it, it was done with uh, 5,700 uh, participants. So it was a, a Reuters study that gave the 10% mm. there. Um, is there anything else uh, that uh, that I've missed that you'd like to uh, opine on? I, I you know, uh, the people should definitely be reading the Daily Caller um, and uh, reading your articles. Uh, but are there any other things that uh, I may have missed? Um, I think I think I think you got a, a really good uh, gambit on it. I think it's just um, w- one thing that I would say is that for for people who are concerned about this issue and want to ensure that these products aren't subjected to uh, too onerous um, regulation or taxation, that they really need to organize themselves into an effective constituency that can effectively counteract the attacks that they're seeing from both the public health movement and from certain types of politicians. So I would say to people that, you know, as you said earlier about these ridiculous laws, that there's no white knight lawyer who's going to come and save you, um, that the person who's going to um, save uh, vapors and the East cigarette industry from um, a fairly strong onslaught from both public health activists um, and politicians hungry for tax revenue um, is themselves, is, is getting the information out there you know, making making sure people are informed about things like the Royal College of Physicians report and so on, and that uh, these uh, these products are helping people quit smoking, that they're far safer than their other alternatives, and that the best thing the government can really do, the best thing the FDA can do, is really just to leave them alone and to and to leave, leave vapors alone. So, uh, so guy, I really appreciate that you you came on and spent the time, uh, and and you know perhaps later uh, as time goes by, I'll be able to have you back on. But I just you know I think it was a great interview, and I really appreciate that you uh, took the time. Thanks, Evan. Thank you so much for having me. No, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Bye bye. All right, cheers. Take care.